0: Please turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at the part of the chapter that Julia read. It goes on, it's a very exciting second half of the chapter. I thought that would perhaps make it a, a little bit long if we tried to, to cover all of that. So we're just going to look at the first 13 or 14 verses. And it seems to me that the theme that is going on here is the theme of faith, and it's opposite uh, of rejection of faith or rejection of Jesus Christ. You may have asked yourself the question if Christianity is true and right, then why do so many people not believe it? Why do so many people reject it? Why are so many people not in church this morning? And you might have a particular take on which people you're thinking about. You might be thinking, why do my family? not believe in Jesus Christ it's a very painful thing if you're the only um, Christian in a family it certainly certainly makes you feel the odd one out from time to time Uh, why do so many people in Brighton for example not believe if it's true and the majority of people don't do they or you might say why in in the west which used to be a Christian civilization why is it Uh, you can perhaps include America in that why why is Christianity seeming to be less mainstream and more marginal and if you're thinking of it historically of course there's a particular historical example of this that the Jewish nation which were the centre of God's attention for thousands of years in the end when Jesus came the Jewish nation more or less en masse decided that they would not believe in Jesus Christ and that's a particular historical instance of this whole question of why is it that the people that you'd expect to have faith don't how is it that they reject and that's what's going on in these few verses as well what answers are there well one answer is of course that this is God's secret the secret purposes of God which we usually refer to as his sovereignty, meaning his rule, even in areas that we don't understand. And that is certainly an answer. God knows and he doesn't choose to tell us. Uh, Another answer why people don't believe is ignorance. They don't believe because they don't know. They don't know what it is they're disagreeing with. And you could say that uh, in, in Europe... There's a large amount of ignorance about what the Christian gospel actually is. And you might say they don't believe because they don't know. But here's a third answer, which is the opposite, which is familiarity. And this is the rejection which comes when people do know what they are disagreeing with. Uh, People who are close to Christian things and they reject it. So perhaps children whose parents are Christians and the children reject or parents whose children are Christians, uh, or family members, people who are close. They are familiar with things, and through that, they reject. And we come across Jesus' own teaching, that there are people who hear, and even if they're taught by Jesus himself, who's the best Sunday school teacher, the best preacher, the best pastor, even if they're taught by him, yet still people, he says it in the parable of the sower, people can hear. But when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. They stumble, they trip over. And the Bible contains a a rather severe warning to say you make sure that you're not one of the ones that trips over and stumbles it happens so paul says in romans 11:20 to his gentile uh, hearers make sure you don't get proud and arrogant and careless and negligent and arrogant and you might fall and you fall over so it's everybody needs to be on the on their guard everybody needs to be taking heed so let's look at this particular passage what's been happening well jesus has been revealing his amazing authority and we've been seeing in some of these stories in in considerable depth the question like who is this that even the wind and waves obey him Jesus who can turn death into sleep which we had in the chapter 5 with a little girl, Jairus' daughter. And in each of these cases the power and authority of Jesus is presented along with the call for faith. So Jesus who commanded the wind and the waves said to his disciples, do you have no faith? And the Jesus who could raise the little girl from the dead said to her father don't be afraid, just believe. So the response of faith is important granted that when the demonized man, the man with uh, uh, thousands of demons in him in chapter 5, when he was delivered, there's no, no mention of faith there, so that's perhaps a counterexample. But the others faith was specifically mentioned. He's been calling for the response of faith. The stories that we've been looking at have been taking uh, place around the lake, although this is an exception. We go inland for this story. He goes back to his hometown, verses 1 to 6, and experiences rejection. Uh, Then he sends out the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, and tells them about possible rejection. Rejection and there's an alert for a sandwich going on here because there is a mark mark and sandwich we send out the uh, apostles in verse 13 and we that's the top of the sandwich we don't get to the bottom of the sandwich until verse 30 when the apostles return so apostles apostles and in the middle the meat in the sandwich is the story of Herod and John the Baptist Now we're not going to do that bit but uh, it's there and it's connected and in that story we get rejection again so we have rejection in Jesus' hometown we have rejection uh, possible in the villages where these uh, apostles go out and we also have rejection in the palace from top to bottom we have uh, this going on and it's a, it's a sober note Previously, Jesus has been extremely popular. People have thronged him and gathered round him, and this is telling us, well, yeah, that's great, but it isn't all like that. And there's another reality in Christian work and in the Christian life, which is what we're looking at. So let's take these uh, one at a time. The, The first one is probably a little bit shorter. Rejection at home. So the text says, Jesus left there, went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. So there's Jesus teaching in the synagogue, and people say, this is amazing. There's an interesting word for amazing. There's several words for amazing, or to be um, astonished. And this word That we have here, they were amazed. seems to be used particularly about Jesus' teaching. So I'm not sure whether I can think of an equivalent word which says, I'm astonished at what I was just taught, but I'd like to put some words into the mouths of the hearers. Perhaps they're thinking, you know, what we've heard was really radical. We've never heard the scriptures explained from this point of view before. Maybe Jesus had taught them that salvation wasn't by the law it was by faith I could well imagine that that Jesus teaching them that and as they sat in the synagogue they'd say we've never heard it told like this before we thought it was all to do with keeping the law and now we're being told it's to do with faith this is astonishing this is radical it turns our understanding upside down. Maybe Jesus had taught about the animal sacrifices and maybe he'd said the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. There needs to be a better sacrifice and a bigger sacrifice. And his hearers would have said, that's astonishing. I thought, this was all, I thought our faith was all about um, killing lambs and bulls and sacrificing them on the altar in Jerusalem. And Jesus is telling me that's just leading to something else. That's astonishing and radical. And maybe Jesus, whoops, I shouldn't have pressed that button. Maybe Jesus is is saying, I'll tell you something else about your, you as a nation, your God's chosen people. But I'll tell you something: God is going to send out His gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. Your King, He's going to send that out, and even the Romans will be welcome. And they might have said, This is astonishing, really, you know, totally radical. So I'm just speculating, but the uh, the people who heard it were astonished they were amazed but they start commenting uh, to themselves and they say where did this chap get these things they don't actually say man they just say this this one where did this one get these things what's this wisdom that's been given to this chap that he even does these miracles Uh, so three times they say this this bloke it's it's not a very respectful way of referring to Jesus where did he get this what is this stuff that he's telling us Uh, what's this wisdom and they don't dispute that he does the miracles they don't say oh it's just a trick they know that he does these powerful miracles and they know that he's telling them something wise and strong but they're standing back and saying what's all this where's this come from and it's really a beginning of distancing themselves from Jesus. And they go on in the same tack and they say, uh, isn't this the carpenter? Now interestingly there isn't a word, specific- we have words for the different trades, don't we? Carpenter, bricklayer, electrician, roofer. Uh, they just have one word for somebody who makes stuff. And so they say, isn't this the maker? And I, I just think it would be really interesting if they put a capital M there uh, isn't he the maker uh, but they say isn't he the carpenter isn't he the, the tradesman and the people that we, we know his family we know his we know them they, 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 they live in the same streets they just live around the corner from us isn't this Mary's son? A little bit derogatory because you usually name somebody after the father. Isn't this Joseph's son? So maybe Joseph had died or maybe they're, they're sort of um, making aspersions about, uh, about the legitimacy of Jesus' birth. But isn't this Mary's son? The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and aren't his sisters here with us? So these are arguments not to do with his, fam- his family, his familiarity. And taking all that together, they stumble. The word to take offense can be used to trip over. They tripped over. Uh, they went headlong. They, uh, they, w- they took offense at him. So he's rejected at home. There is rejection here. And uh, Jesus comments on this. He says, uh, well, you know, I go to other places, they listen, and they believe me. But here, where you really ought to know me best, you reject me. And he says, isn't, isn't this, doesn't this so often happen? Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honour only in his hometown is the prophet not honoured and the comment goes on to say or the writer goes on to say he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them Well, I have to say even if I saw a few sick people having their hands laid on them and they were healed I'd think wow that's amazing but by comparison with other places we're told This was a relatively small number of people that received this blessing from the Lord. And it it references power. He was not empowered to do these powerful things. And isn't uh, isn't it something that the unbelief of these people, the fact that Jesus had come close to them, and done stuff and said stuff and they could see him and they were well placed to believe in him but they didn't and the result of this is in a sense that the the presence of God draws back that they don't have miracles done in front of them it at it, it all God sort of absents himself from them and it's a warning about unbelief isn't it because if you're saying and almost certainly in any given group of people then there's probably one or two who are thinking i'd like to get further away from jesus rather than closer just to say that as you back off from jesus in a sense god backs off from you and you might see less of the work of god in your life if you back off uh, not so many mighty works being done. And furthermore, it said of Jesus that he was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed at their lack of faith, verse 6. Uh, very seldom is it said that Jesus is amazed. It's usually other people who are amazed at him. You read through the gospel. Jesus is doing stuff and people are going, wow, wow, amazing, astonishing, wow, all the way through. They were even doing that here, weren't they? Astonishing teaching, amazing. And this is the one place where it says Jesus was amazed. Uh, and that's what it says. Jesus, perhaps looking at the situation and saying, it sort of puts people off, so it doesn't look like God, just looks like a, an ordinary human. So his humanity reveals God in a way that we can grasp but veils God because we might not be impressed. Where is God? Well, in Jesus Christ. Take another good look at him. And of course, his familiarity can either equip us or blind us. So as I was mentioning about human families, uh, children brought up in a Christian home have a huge a huge huge privilege they're well equipped to believe but also they might be blinded because they see all these things they get used to it Uh, familiarity can breed contempt can't it see mum and dad when they're having an off day and not on their best behaviour when they're at the end of their tether and they might say if this is Christianity don't want anything to do with it what a horrible thing that would be but you see, this is the dilemma, isn't it? Uh, people have, are equipped by familiarity and might be blinded by it. And there are sometimes causes of stumbling. In Matthew 18, he says, uh, just be careful that you don't actually become the cause of somebody stumbling as to their faith It says, I hope I've got the right reference, woe to the world because of things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. That's quite sobering, isn't it? He's saying you really, really don't, you know, people will be put off by things and they'll be put off for the wrong reasons. But you really hope and pray that you won't be one of those reasons. It's a good reason for us to to be careful the way that we live don't be the the cause of somebody else stumbling and churches need to be careful too one of the things that puts people off Christianity can be churches the sins that go on in churches perhaps unchallenged perhaps undiscovered for a long time disunity one of the great turn offs for church where Christians should be united in Jesus Christ in the gospel and yet can't manage to do that it's a really big turn off and the, the awful betrayals that sometimes happen where you know, pastors go off with the organist's wife or or even the organist's husband and people feel terribly betrayed, this is the person who taught me the gospel and, and uh, How can I believe it when I see such a betrayal of those principles in the life of this person? There are causes of stumbling, and we ought to make sure that we are not one of them. There are some causes of stumbling that are unavoidable, and we don't want to avoid them. So when Paul talked about his preaching, he said, Some people are put off, some people are put off because I tell them about the cross of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5 verse 11 he says uh, he talks about the offense the stumbling block of the cross and that's we don't want to avoid that one he's saying if I change the gospel so it didn't include Jesus shedding his blood bearing the wrath of God for my sins if I could change it so it didn't have that more people would believe it well, some people believe it that don't believe it at the moment, but he said, I'm not going to change it because that is the good news, that is the power of God to salvation. It's a stumbling block for some, but um, I'm not going to change that. And uh, to summarize it, Jesus is looking for faith, he's looking for people who will take the evidence listen to what he says, see what he does and in fact trust him let's look at the next page while the computer is deciding whether it's going to do what I said, I did press the button, I will press it again it'll probably all change in a moment have a look at the next uh, verses while I just see whether I can make it behave itself It's being very naughty. So let's look at what happens in the next verses. So we've left the hometown. We've we've thought about that, uh, but and Jesus is now thinking in terms of expansion. It says in verse end of verse six, Jesus went round in a circle. It's a sort of circular teaching trip, teaching from village to village. Well, Jesus can do so much in that way, but he can do more if he does what happens next. Calling the twelve to himself, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. If you look what happened, it says in verse 12, they went out preached that people should repent, they drove out many demons, and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So something's going on here. Jesus is sending these 12 uh, and I would like to just think about what's happening the logic of sending these people he calls them apostles the word to send in greek is apostello so it, it, that's the sending word and the apostles are the ones who are sent and there is an understood method of doing this in uh, in in certainly in jewish culture that you could send somebody your shaliach, to do things for you. And a, a particular example of the sort of thing, although it does, I don't think it uses this word, is Genesis 24, where Abraham, who's uh, lying in bed, uh, sends off his servant to find a wife for his son. And this chap is given full, uh, full permission, full authority And what they would say is a shaliach is as the man who sent him. A man's shaliach is as himself. He can do the things and make the decisions that the the sender makes. And this is sort of what's happening here. Because Jesus has authority and he gives his apostles authority. That's what we're told in verse 7. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. And Jesus has a mission. He's been going around teaching and preaching, and he gives the mission on to the apostles. Next slide. Jesus had been going round the villages, and the apostles are going to go round, and they can cover more territory than Jesus can. So they are as the sender in authority and mission, and they do the sorts of things that Jesus did they cast out demons, heal the sick, and they preach repentance. And we're told, in a rather lovely phrase in verse 14, that Jesus' name became well known. Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. And I think it's a result of what's been happening. Jesus goes round, but when his apostles going out two by two, they can cover more territory, and it comes to the ears of the governor. So there's an, a principle of delegation, an extension of the gospel via people. It's worth pondering that. You think, well, actually, couldn't Jesus have enlisted angels to do this? Because there's a story in the book of Acts where an angel goes to Peter and an angel goes to Cornelius and why couldn't God just keep on doing that sending angels to people but he doesn't do that he uh, with the Peter and Cornelius he sent the angels to arrange the meet-up but when the meet-up was there it was one human being talking to another and that's the way uh, the Lord loves to do it uh, there's a lasting principle, as we shall see, but we need to, to think it through a little bit. So let's... So before you sell your bread and just only wear sandals, because that's what it says to do here, just hold on, don't, don't take any rash, uh, rash decisions yet. Let's just look at what's actually happening. So let's look at, first of all, the the provision. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. The other... Uh, the other gospels, I think, say staves, uh, plural. So I think there's a, uh, I think there's a harmony. It's just saying, just take one stick. You don't take several of them. You know, your Tyrolean one and your um, Andean one. And well, anyway, take a staff. Uh, bread, no. Don't pack any sandwiches. Bag for carrying a lot of stuff in, no. It's a bit like packing to go on EasyJet, isn't it? Uh, spare money. No, don't take any spare money. Uh, sandals, a little bit of, of debate as to what sort of footwear it was, but it's okay to wear sandals. So presumably not, uh, not heavy boots. Uh, sandals, and not an extra tunic. I don't think this is a provision to do with laundry arrangements. I think they were pretty minimal, the laundry arrangements. I think it's to do with keeping warm. So don't pack something just in case you have to camp out at night and you're going to need an extra layer. Uh, you're not to do that. And the whole. So you might be wondering why is it why is it spelt out like this? And I think the answer is that this particular mission depends on the hospitality of the people that they're going to. It's they're going to the villages they're going to the Jewish villages and the expectation is that these are God's people and God's servants can expect hospitality from God's people and it's all settled on that that's the way you're going to depend on the hospitality of God's people you won't be camping out uh, you won't be having to get any money out of an ATM when you're not expecting it you'll be provided for that is the um, that's the particular mission they're on at this time so hold that thought we'll come back to it let's look at the reception that's spoken of and Jesus says whenever you enter a house stay there until you leave that town so you're welcomed in and then the next night you find that their neighbour has a swimming pool and um, huge plasma television and you think oh perhaps we'll go and stay there. No, you stay where you, where you were first welcomed in so stay in the house that you're welcomed to but you might not be welcomed. If any place will not welcome you or listen to you then what do you do? You shake the dust off their feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Now that's worth thinking about. The shaking dust off their feet would be what you did if you were an Orthodox Jew and you had to go through some unclean, God-forsaken place like Samaria. And you would had to go through there because that's the way the road system worked. But when you got to the boundary and you entered good old home territory again, you would shake the dust off your feet, say, I don't want any of that unclean, God-forsaken stuff clinging to me, back home, this is home territory and what he's saying is if they don't accept you you do that to them you shake the dust off your feet and you say this is a God forsaken unclean place why is it? it's in Israel no, but because they haven't welcomed the apostles of Jesus Christ it's a very a very radical thing for him to tell them to do it's a witness against them to witness against them you know, to make them think "Ooh, gosh were we as wrong as that and, and presumably they go on to the next village hospitality withheld from the apostles is a rejection of Jesus which is a rejection of God and it reminds us that some doors get closed Jesus is saying you go out and you won't be universally popular some people will reject you and that is a very serious thing for them to do and in case you were thinking of doing that yourself just remember in the previous story where the townspeople who had had the pigs and the pigs had jumped into the sea and they didn't like Jesus doing that when they said to Jesus go away please remember that he did that's frightening please don't be the person who rejects Jesus and you find that the dust of your house is being shaken off his feet as it were it's a warning not to refuse the one who speaks you get that in the beginning of Hebrews you know you have seen so much you have had so many privileges Make sure you don't re- refuse the one who speaks from heaven. That's an awful thing to do, a terrible thing to do. But let's look at the picture of it. Rejection in the villages. They're rejected in one place. They shake the dust off their feet. They go to the next village. And there's a pattern here. Rejection in one village means blessing for the next village because they go on there. And actually this pattern is duplicated over the course of history because on the big picture of it, as Israel as a whole rejected Jesus, the blessing went on to the nations. And that's a, a huge big step change in history. It's the this, this same thing happening in, uh, on, on the large scale and I, I'm sure there are missionary stories about nations that have closed their gates to the gospel. Uh, remember that China did that and not, kicked out their China and inland missionary missionaries. Uh, but God wasn't stopped by that. It was to the detriment of the people who chucked, uh, who, who, who um, rejected the gospel that the blessing wels- went elsewhere. And in fact, God did wonderful things has done wonderful things in China since as well well how shall we think about this think about the mission by Jesus apostles to those villages compared with later and now so I do you know I had a very clever way of doing this click so that it wouldn't all come up at once but it hasn't worked there we go so, first of all, a question for apostles. If you happen to be an apostle, this is for you. Should you be doing the same thing as these people, with your staff and your sandals and everything, or different? So, I've got two answers. Number one, you should be doing the same because the message that the apostles had then is the same message as now. So, please, apostles, be telling us the same thing. You are our foundation you're the foundation messengers. You are the representatives of Jesus Christ. You give us the gospel, so keep on doing that. And, of course, that's what's in Scripture, isn't it? That's why our New Testament is so important to us. That's foundational from the apostles. But then I'm going to say, well, they should do different. And, in fact, even in in the book of Acts, they did different. They didn't always uh, not take a bag with them and they didn't always only wear sandals and they didn't always rely on um, Jewish hospitality because of course the gospel has gone out beyond home territory. The gospel's gone out into foreign territory and it's gone to uh, Wales and the Ukraine and England and France and uh, all the countries of Africa and all these different places and it's not home ground so the missionary and Peru so missionaries need to take some money they need to take some food with them they need to make preparations they need to go on courses to be prepared uh, because it's different yeah so uh, the, 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 the apostles did it differently I'm getting ahead of myself so the next question is should, what about us and the answer is, well, we are different to them because we're not apostles. The apostles, these first-generation foundation people to whom Jesus gave the gospel, they are as the one who sent, sent them. We're not apostles, but we can carry on their mission. We can be apostolic, if you like. We wouldn't expect to do the things that they did. We wouldn't expect necessarily to do exorcisms And uh, healing—it's not. uh, We are not the apostles. God might choose to do that, should He wish to, but we couldn't demand it and expect it. But we do carry on the mission because Jesus went round so far, and those apostles in those days went round so far, and there's territory still to be to be going with the gospel, including Peru. Uh, So uh, we're not apostles, but the message is still the same. They went round saying, repent. Uh, Peter in Acts was still saying, uh, what shall we do to be saved? Repent and and be baptised. And Paul in Acts, Acts 17, was saying, uh, God commands everybody to repent. And in Luke 24, Jesus says, repentance and forgiveness will be preached. Let me get, get the quote. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So all nations need to hear of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So it's sort of the same but different is what I'm trying to to say. So let's bring to a conclusion. Jesus calls people to himself, not just him but he uses other people and in the passage we've been looking at he's been calling people to himself via his apostles and he wants people to put their trust in Jesus so he's looking for faith so I'm going to say have you put your trust in Jesus do you find him to be trustworthy can you commit the whole of your life into his care and they were calling for repentance Two sides of the same coin. To turn from self and sin to God. To say the centre of my life will no longer be me, but will be God. And I am turning from idols, from sin to God. And I'm saying, do you have faith? Are you living a life of repentance? Are you turning towards the Lord? Are you trusting in him? Because that's what it's all about. The call of Jesus then the risk of Jesus and the risk is rejection and if it happened to Jesus it can happen to us and we might find uh, as we grow older that not all our children believe in Jesus or not all the people uh, near us believe in the incident here it was home nearby and in the palace well, we might find rejection in all sorts of places, and we're to be prepared for that. It's not—it's not outside God's plan. It isn't that you were told you were never told about it. You—you you have to face that. Rejection results in the absence of God. So, if you're in the middle of rejecting God just now, be warned, because if you pursue down that line, you'll find less and less of God. Um, or you could find less and less of God getting in your way, Uh, be warned. And if you're actually now rejecting Jesus Christ, you are doing what those people did. Jesus wipes the dust off off his feet, as it were. You're writing your own death warrant. You're saying, I don't want this message, I don't want this saviour, I don't want this God, uh, that's a very awful decision to be making be afraid and the result of this message well I refer us again to that rather beautiful sentence uh, at the other end of the sandwich where it said uh, of King Herod King Herod heard about this for Jesus' name had become well known. And I say that it, isn't that a brilliant result. Through the ministry of these people Jesus' name had become well known. Wouldn't it be great if in Brighton and Hove people could say that about the witness that we have about the Lord Jesus? Let's sing together.